Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, as the Apostle Paul sat down to write his letter to the Colossians, to a group of people that he had never met, uh, but he had common acquaintances, um, he was sitting in a jail cell. And not jail cell like you might imagine, we think of jail cells here, but jail, jail cells at that time were like pretty bleak cold, sometimes damp, dirty. And so he's writing a letter to these Colossian Christians, uh, to a church in the city of Colossae. And you would think, with what was going on in his life, that he would want to communicate and talk about his situation. Here I am in jail, and here's how I got here for preaching the gospel, and this happened, and that happened. And, and Boy, you know, we're trying to work to see if we can get, get out, if I can get out some way. I've got people doing this. And if you could help in any way, you know, maybe you could send some warm clothing or have someone bring some stuff that I need. And I mean, I think that's what I would do, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't focus on that at all. He focuses on something else. And so what does that tell us about that something else? It must be pretty important, huh? You think about that in your own life, when trouble's coming into your life and everything gets thrown haywire, right? And that tends to take care of our lives or take control of our lives. But if you were actually saying, no, no, I, I'm going to set that aside for now because this is so important. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Colossians. And, and what he's really doing is he's talking about who Jesus is and, and the role that he has in the universe and in our personal lives. And he, he contrasts that with things that people uh, pursue instead of Jesus. And he's saying, oh, don't do that. Lots of reasons. So uh, this idea of Jesus being the absolute most important, the one that we ought to honor in our lives, the one who we ought to receive our guidance from, and as we're going to see today, the one that ought to shape what we believe about ourselves. I think we ought to listen. Because it's really, really important. Father, I do come to you and I pray that you would open our, our hearts, help us to open our hearts to you today, that you would stir us with your spirit as, as, as we hear from your word and, and we think about it and apply it. We ask, Lord, you please to work and be glorified in us in our attitudes of even now, Lord, as we, we open ourselves to you, ready to say yes to you, ready to worship you. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, he goes through and he talks about lots of different areas that are all underneath this umbrella of Jesus being supreme and the most important thing in our lives. And, and one of the, the first things I noticed as I started in the book is that he, and by the way, in this we're going to be in Colossians and we're going to look at 10 different questions, answer 10 different questions. And the first one we're going to do today is the question, who are you? Who are you? And you, you think, well, that seemed like a pretty easy thing, right? Well, I'm Walter Edward Graham II. The second's important, you know. 
Um, but anyway, so who are you? So we have a birth certificate, right? So we can look and see a birth certificate. In fact, if you want to go prove who you are somewhere, what do you often have to have? You have to have your birth certificate, right? Okay, well, so we got a birth certificate, but there's no picture on it. Uh, and I don't know what picture they put on. Would they put your baby picture on your birth certificate? I don't, I don't know if it's you or not. Anyway, but then we have a photo IDs. We have our, like our driver's license, right? That might be another way we would identify ourselves. We have a number from the state that, you know, uh, this is supposed to be unique to us. Uh, sometimes we might identify ourselves or identify someone else, even if we're thinking about who they are. We might... Uh, Talk about some quality they have, right? Well, he seems like a really nice guy, you know? And so that, or I don't know, I won't think I'd trust that one. I think he's a little shady, right? But the, all these things, how are we identifying people? Sometimes we identify people by their role in our lives. I have my mechanic, okay? And then uh, I have my friends. And so these are all different kinds of ways that we identify ourselves. But in the long run, they don't tell us a whole lot. So I want to ask the question again, who are you really? Who are you really? Well, the reality is, is that we only know what people show us, right? For the most part. And sometimes they show us on purpose and sometimes they show us not on purpose. <laughs> but so the longer you know, you know somebody and the uh, the, the better you get to know them, I would still say to you that at some level, we don't know people fully. Because anybody besides me, let's say I've been married, what, uh, 44 years now? And uh, every now and then, my wife goes, who are you? <laughs> I don't think she says those words, but it is like, you know, she, the other day I did something that's like, that's, you don't, that isn't you, you don't, do, I mean, and the same back and forth, right? The reality is, is there's always things that we don't, we don't know each other fully. We don't know ourselves fully. Because even as we look at ourselves and we know what's going on, we don't always necessarily understand what's motivating us. We don't always understand why do I feel this way or why do I have this problem in my life. And so we talk about who are you really? And in this book, Jesus is held out over all, supreme over all. Here's the reality that Jesus is the only one who knows you perfectly. He's the only one who knows you perfectly. And by the way, sometimes when we think about who we are and whether we let people know that or not, right? We're a little fearful to let people know that kind of thing sometimes. But Jesus knows us better than anybody else. And what has he done for us? He died for our sins, right? Rose again, offers us eternal life if we'll acknowledge our sins and turn to him and receive him as Savior, put our faith in him. And he accepts us exactly the way we are. He knows everything about us and still loves us and accepts us. Now, we know the reality is he doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to grow, and he works in our lives and helps us to do that. But what an amazing thing. And, and sometimes I find myself, from some circumstance or other, realizing that Jesus knows me, and he accepts me. And man, that changes everything. It really, really does. But anyway, so Jesus is the only one who knows you perfectly. 
And when Jesus saved you, he gave you a brand new identity. Okay, it's this idea of being born again. Uh, you know, in this conversation with Nicodemus, you have to be born again to have eternal life, to, to see heaven. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it. And Jesus goes on and explains. He's talking about a spiritual birth. He's talking about a, a new birth deep down inside of us. When we talk about our spirit, sometimes that might seem a little fuzzy to us, right? But we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit. And that spirit dead to God before we come to Christ. But the moment we come to Christ, we come to life. That spirit comes to life. We're born again. We have new life. And just as you get, when you were born into this world, there's a birth certificate. Here's your identity. Well, when we receive Christ as Savior, he gives us a brand new identity inside, deep down inside. We are in Christ in all that that means. And so today, what we want to talk about is your true identity in Christ, because it may not be who you think you are. When you think about what your identity is, this may not be what comes to mind first for you, but I want to challenge you and say that it should. Because when you think about who you are, not just your name, right, but who you are, what, what are you? How does that all work in your life? It's so important that we see ourselves properly. And not just this issue, but any issue, but we're talking about this, that you see yourself the way you really are, which is the way Jesus says you are, because he knows what he did inside of you. And the reason it's so important is because whatever you believe about yourself will always affect how you live. And I can almost guarantee you that there are some of you here today who are really struggling with your life and how it's going. And, and you're really probably, if we ask you, what do you think about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? And feelings aren't the things that determine of truth, but they do point out that there's an issue. How do you really feel about yourself? I bet there's a good number of us in here today that say, not, not very good. I think I'm a loser. I think I'm never gonna get it. It's never going to come together from you or whatever. All those things. And that is going to affect how you live your life, isn't it? It really, really is. Now, so just let me say, I, I wanna, uh, that in our world, you know, th there's often a push. You'll hear speakers here and there. And they're, they're talking about uh, seeing yourself as valuable. You know, they talk about self-esteem all that kind of stuff. And there is a sense in which what they're, all they're saying is true because how you think about yourself is gonna affect what you do and how you live. The problem is if, if what you're thinking about yourself does not match what Jesus says, I don't care how positive you are, it's gonna be wasted, isn't it? It's gonna be misguided, it's gonna lead you in a wrong direction, okay? But they have got, grabbed this, this truth in a sense of how you think about yourself really, really matters. And so what we want to challenge ourselves is what, what does Jesus say about us? What are we really, really like? Who am I? And so it matters. And I think Dave, is, you know, he's helped me with this a number of times. Because he says a little more pointed is belief what? That's right. Belief determines behavior, okay? Because really what you believe. And so what you believe about yourself is crucial here. Now, so we're talking about how do the, I need to see who I really am, and I need to not just know that. Boy, you know, I'm learning in my life. I've learned over the years, and it gets reinforced to me from time to time, that there are plenty of things that I know that I don't really believe. 
at a given point in time. Because here's the deal. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But if I um, believe the right things about myself, that's going to be the best possible life for me. And I don't mean separate from God. I mean believing what the Lord says about me, right? That is crucial. And not only for a life that I want to live that's going to be good and positive, but it's going to be the life that the Lord wants me to live, which is really, really crucial. And like I say, it's not just knowing it, it's believing it. Because the difference between knowing something and believing is if you know something and then you ought to do something because of it, you may not. You get what I'm saying? Okay, I know this is God's best for me. This will be my greatest blessing. I think I'll do something else. And we aren't always conscious, but that's what we do, isn't it? Because we, we don't really believe at that point. Because if we believe, we're going to say, wait a minute, this is what God says. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to go with what he says. All right? Uh, again, it matters. So, but what I want to say is this. When we start thinking about it, it's, let me ask you this. Is it a blessing to be a Christian? You feel like it is? Is it a blessing to live according to the Lord's ways and according to his word? Is it a blessing? Yeah. Here's the danger. As human beings, we can begin to latch in on what matters is the blessing. Oh, I'm going to do this because it's going to make me happy. I'm going to do this because it's going to satisfy me. Well, you know what? Following the Lord will make you happy and, and will satisfy you, but... If you're about the blessing about yourself, you're missing the point because the whole point of Colossians that is Jesus is the one who needs to be what's the most important in our lives, ruling over all. And so when I get focused, I mean, let me say, if, if you follow God's methods of finances, the things that he tells us in the word, most of the time, and I say most of the time for a reason, but most of the time, you're going to be better off financially. Because you're not going to be making stupid mistakes with your money. You're going to use wisdom and make better decisions. And over time, you're going to be better off. But if you detach that from Jesus, you've missed the point. Okay? So let's think about it. In Colossians, and, and we'll, gonna, we'll cover this uh, probably next week or the one I can't remember for sure. But the verse, verse 18 of chapter 1 says that in all things, he may have the preeminence. That he should be first in how many things? All things, okay? So we do not want to get caught up in letting anything else take his place. And so, here's some, I'm, I'm kind of taking a little detour here, all right? I want you to see something. Uh, do not pursue happiness or fulfillment. Don't. Why not? Well, the reality is this. If you pursue happiness you pursue fulfillment, and we could use other adjectives here. Um, it will always elude you. And even when you feel like you've gotten it, guess what? It won't be enough. It won't. Okay? So what's the deal? Am I telling you to go live a miserable life? All right, let's go have coffee. I mean, you know? No. Pursue Christ above all. 
Don't, don't let happiness and fulfillment be what you pursue. Pursue Christ. Pursue a relationship with him. Pursue a life that honors him, that lets people see him in your life. Pursue him. Pursue Christ above all. And, and here is the truth. The reality is that in Christ you will find true happiness and deep fulfillment. It won't elude you. And, and the reason this is is because these things, happiness and fulfillment, are results of pursuing Christ. You see the difference? And if you make, and it's easy to do, man, it's easy to do at any point in time, all of a sudden it's about trying to be happy. And, and true happiness, you know, we, we can talk about joy, fruit of the Spirit, all that kind of stuff. But uh, we, we begin to focus on what's going to make us happy or what, you know, will fulfill us, make us feel fulfilled. But if the focus shifts from Christ to that, it will never be enough. Only in Jesus, when we pursue him wholeheartedly, does he add happiness that works. He adds fulfillment that works. Um, and we can use this as actually an uh, illustration of the book of Proverbs. Uh, let me ask you this honest question here, and, and I'll answer it first, and you guys answer it to me. How many of you would like to have more money than you presently have? I wouldn't mind being rich, and, and I am rich in so many ways, right? And I am rich in comparison to the world. You know what I'm saying? I'd, like to have, I'd love to have a lot more money. That would be cool. I got good plans for that. I tell the Lord that, you know, occasionally. <laughs> Um, but the Bible indicates that often with riches comes sorrow, problems, difficulties. And then in Proverbs it says that when the Lord gives you riches, he doesn't add any sorrow, no sorrow from it. You see, so this is what we're talking about. It's this very good picture. I want to get more money. Okay, that's not a bad thing. In fact, you can do lots of good things with more money. But if I make that my goal and my focus and I do that and I'm not keeping Christ as what's first in my life, I'm going to get the sorrow that comes with it. If instead I pursue Christ first and in his will and plans, he says, yeah, I, I, I want to give you more money because you're going to do what I want with it. And he does that. It doesn't bring sorrow. You see what I'm talking about? Is this becoming clear? I beat this horse enough, dead horse already. Okay. So let's go back then and talk about this. Who are you really? Okay, we've seen that Jesus is the only one who knows you perfectly. And when Jesus saved you, he gave you a brand new identity. And this really matters because what you believe about yourself will always affect how you live. So what I want to do now for the next few minutes is talk about your true identity in Christ as it shows up in the first part of Colossians. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Page 1,352 in the Bible that's under the chairs there, 1,352. We're going to look at the first eight verses today. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, 
because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, or Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras was from Colossae and he has talked to Paul and Paul is aware of what's going on in the lives of the Colossians. So let's talk about this. I want to use first an example before I really start to zero in on uh, our identity. Right here in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Who are you, Paul? Who are you? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's God's will in my life that I fulfill this role of apostle. And that shaped everything Paul did, right? Shaped the decisions he made, shaped where he went, shaped how he talked. Once again, it probably shaped how he wrote this letter because uh, he, he wanted to fulfill his ministry as an apostle. And so it's more important that he talk to them about Jesus and his role in their lives than about his own conditions, his own situation. All right. So the next thing we see here is he talks to them, verse two, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. How does he identify them? First as what? Saints. Okay. Now, depending on what your religious background is, you know, you may have heard that saints are, are people, Christians who lived in the past and who were godly and maybe worked a miracle or whatever, and the, the powers that be have said, okay, that person is a saint. <clears throat> That's not the way the Bible uses the word, okay? The word saint means a holy one, someone who's been made holy by God. And everybody who comes to Jesus Christ, we come as sinners, and then he forgives us and he makes us holy down the side. That's part of that new birth. He's made us holy inside. We are holy ones. We are what? Saints. That's right. Now, if you really want to freak out some of your friends who kind of come from that background, go tell them. I went to church Sunday and I discovered, yeah, I'm St. Walt. You know, and, uh, but we are. We are holy ones. We have been made holy by the Lord. We are saved, okay? Saved from uh, sin's consequences, saved from the power of it in our lives. And uh, let's and then he says, not only saints, but what? Faithful brethren. Faithful brethren. Huh? Faithful sisters, too, okay? Uh, he's not, uh, it's not intended to be uh, just for men. We're family, but faithful brethren. How did he know they were faithful? He'd never met them. Well, one way we could say he knew is because Epaphras, Epaphras, I can't know how to say his name, um, knew them and it came and talked to Paul. But I want to say to you, I think there's more to it than that. From Paul's perspective, and I think from God's perspective, is that if you are saved, genuinely saved, faithfulness will be a mark on your life. It'll, be, it'll show up. I'm not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction that we're going in life. If a person who is saved is going to grow. And can they from time to time not? Yeah. So here's how Paul is looking at them as Christians. He says, as a person who has been saved by faith, the Lord will continually shape you for his good in, in your life. 
if you're genuinely saved. God is at work in your life. And, and this is important to understand because, man, we as Christians, can't we sometimes feel like, you know, because we've blown it again, we've made unwise decisions, we've been deceived, we've, we've bought into things, and here we are again. And no hope for me. This is just the way I am, I guess. And you may not be that loud about it. You might be very down about it. You know, this is who I am. This is where I am. I'm stuck here. But see, Apostle Paul sees, no, wait, a saved person is a growing person. A saved person is someone who God is at work in their life. And so those times when you find yourself, you know, here I am again, I can't believe this. What's the hope? Maybe I should just give up. You need to believe what God says about you. And that's it. Yeah, you messed up. Yes, this doesn't belong in your life. Okay, look, let's work on this. You're gaining valuable experience. <laughs> Come on. And that can give you hope, can it? God's not done with me. He's still working in my life. And so this idea, I mean, it's captured in, in other places in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, till, till the end when the Lord returns and finishes the whole project. God is what? He's what? Faithful. He will complete it. And do you believe this about yourself? This is part of your identity in Christ, that you are somebody who God is at work in. He is at work in your life. Whether you're messing up or not, he's at work in your life, okay? And so you want to believe that. And then uh, Paul says it later in his letter to the Thessalonians, he says this, he says, now may God himself sanctify you completely. How far? Completely. Now, I'm guessing that the, it'll actually be completed when the Lord returns for us or when we go to be with him. But the idea is he's not stopping. Anybody here completely? By the way, that word sanctify, that's the same word from saint. In other words, we're saints deep down inside, but in our lives we don't always live like it. And so this idea of sanctifying is helping us to learn to live like it, helping us learn to think like it, helping us learn to respond to life like a holy person would, like a saved person would. And so he says that God is going to keep after that. Anybody here perfectly sanctified at this point? No, none of us are. But God is at work bringing you there. He's doing things in your life, and he is faithful. I like this. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He's going to do this in your life. All right, so now, we're going to focus in on then, these are some examples here, but of some things that we see Paul saying here that point to the Colossians' identity in Christ and our identity in Christ if we know the Lord, okay? So, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's what's here in this passage, so let's take a look at it. Verse number four. He says, we give thanks, or that's verse three, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, and we're just gonna put ourselves in the place of the Colossians, as though Paul was writing to us. And I think that's fair, because the Lord did have this written for us. So let me, I'm gonna put it in, in the second person talking to you. 
First thing, you are a believer in Christ. Assuming you have received Christ as Savior, right? If you haven't, let us help you with that. Uh, we'd love to do that. You are a believer in Christ. That's what he says about them. And then he says, of your love for all the saints. You are a lover of Christians. And hopefully, your fellow man, but certainly of your fellow believers. You are a lover. That's, he's saying this is part of who you are, isn't he? You get that? This is who you are. You are a lover of Christians. Well, I don't always feel very loving. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. But you are a lover of Christians. Verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. You are a possessor of hope. About heaven and eternal life. Those things. You are. You may not think about it, but you are. You are a possessor of the hope of heaven. And most of the people in the world around you do not have that, are not that. Um, and then verse 6, which has come to you, the gospel, as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. And really what Paul's saying is that when the gospel goes in the world and people get saved, it brings forth fruit. Well, did the gospel come to you? Okay. Is it bringing forth fruit? Hmm. What's Paul say? What's Paul say? And Holy Spirit through Paul. God to you and me. What's he say? Is your response to the gospel bringing forth fruit? Okay, I guess I got to figure out a different way to say it. We're talking, this is, this is this whole idea. We got to get to this in our lives. My identity is that I am a fruit bearer. Your identity is that you are a spiritual fruit bearer. So you receive Christ as Savior. You respond to the gospel. You believe. You receive Christ as Savior. Is it bringing forth fruit in your life? Well, we're getting closer. Yes, it is. Are you always, every moment of your life, producing this wonderful fruit? No, but God is at work through this, producing fruit in your life. He is. Okay, and then let's continue. He says, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You are a knower of God's grace in truth. It's a little awkward way to say it, but you are a knower of God's grace in truth. You know God's grace. Have you been saved? And if you've been saved, do you know grace? Yeah. And you know it in truth because it is true and it's settled. You are a knower of God's grace and truth. By the way, that enables you to believe these things we're talking about. Then verses 7 and 8. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. But he's a faithful minister on your behalf for your well-being. Another part of your identity is that you are worthy of love and care from others. Now, it may sound strange to have to say that, but let me say, I, and I think, Dave, you would agree with your experience with counseling, and that's that... Um, people... Maybe you here today sometimes do not believe they're worthy of being loved. 
When someone wants to show that they care, they put up walls. Maybe you put up walls. Right? It's some reason rather, because you just don't believe it. I, occasionally I talk with someone and, and I, I'll say, hey, let's get together and let's talk about you know, the things where we were discussing at the moment. And the person will say, ah, you sure you want to waste your time? This person doesn't see himself, herself, I don't want to identify, but you know, is worthy of that. But you are worthy of love and care for others. This is part of our, our belief system. So let's think about this. Let's look at this list. When you don't really believe these things, maybe you know them, you've heard Walt say them a bunch of the times, but you don't really believe it. You know what I mean? You aren't saying, yes, that's true, I'm trusting it, I'm going to live that way. When you aren't doing that, a believer in Christ, you know what you can do? You're going to doubt your faith. You're going to doubt your relationship with God. It happens. I've seen it happen. If you don't believe that you're a lover of Christians, you may live selfishly because it's who the way I am. Right? You're not believing what God says. You live selfishly. A possessor of hope about heaven. If you don't see that as part of who you are, the I possess is hope. You know, next thing, the normal depression that comes to all of us from time to time becomes abnormal depression. Because you don't have any hope. Man, losing hope, that's deadly. All right, uh, a, a spiritual fruit bearer. If you don't believe that's true, you will devalue not only what you have done, but what you could do. You don't say, what difference? I, I can't, I'm not. But you are, see? A, a knower of God's grace and truth and the experience of grace. What a difference relating to God with the truth of grace in mind. Then if you don't believe that, if you aren't really believing that about yourself, you will keep trying to measure up. You know what I mean? I gotta be better. God will accept me more if I do better. Maybe God will answer my prayers if I do better. Ah, it's a terrible place to be. You don't want to live there. No, we have grace. We have instant access. All right? Worthy of love and care from others. Like I said, if you don't believe that, you're likely to reject people. You'll put walls up. You'll find yourself isolated exactly where the devil wants you to be so he can spiral you down. All right? All right. So um, here's the thing. If you don't believe these things about you, if you've, you've, let's say you've genuinely received Christ as Savior, but you don't really believe these things about your identity, are they still true? They're still true, whether you believe it or not. Let me give you a little illustration. Okay? Um, years ago when I was growing up, and many of you would be the same way, if you're driving a car and it's slippery and you need to hit the brakes and you've got to stop fast, what do you do? Those of you who are older, pump the brakes quickly as you can. Pump it, because you don't want to lock it up, you'll skid. Well, back in about 2004, pretty much became standard in cars sold in the United States that they have what they call ABS, the automatic braking system. I don't know if that's what it really means or not, but the letters work, okay, <laughs> ABS. And, um, and by 2013, it's required. Okay, so any car you, you buy after 2013 for sure uh, has this ABS in it. And how do you stop the fastest with ABS brakes? You push it down and you hold them. It's probably gonna vibrate against your foot, and, but you push it down and just hold it down hard, okay? 
and the car has it automatically do the pumping for you. Now, what if you pump ABS brakes? You're gonna confuse your car for sure. <laughs> but it'll eventually stop. It just will not be as nearly as effective. It won't you know, do what it could do for you. Well, here's what you see is that even if you are not believing these things, they're still, they're still true. But they won't be nearly as effective and affect your life nearly as much as they could. But if you can settle, no, I believe this, and maybe, boom, I believe it. I'm going to trust it. It's going to work the way God intends for it to work. So let's look at the list again here. Your true identity in Christ. You are a believer in Christ. You believe that. I'm a, I have faith. I'm a believer. I have a relationship with God. Is that going to change how you, you go about the rest of your day today if you go out of here thinking, man, I have a relationship with the God of the universe. He lives in me. Is it going to change how you... I'm a lover of Christians. Now we get up and we sign a fellowship. You know what? I'm afraid of these guys. But I love them. Wait a minute. I do love these people. It's going to affect how you interact with them. Possessor of hope about heaven. You can get up tomorrow morning and have more hope. Or maybe when you go to bed tonight, you can have hope instead of despair. You know, spiritual fruit bearer. You'll believe that, hey, I can do things that make a difference. They make a difference for the Lord. They make a difference in people's lives. I'm a knower of God's grace and truth. I know I can relate to God on the basis of his grace. That's the truth that can govern my life. I don't have to earn my relationship with him. And sometimes we get it. I, I can't earn my salvation, but somehow or other I think I need to keep earning my standing before God. No, it doesn't work that way. But so if you know that, then it, it leaves you freely interacting with God at all points in time. When you're tempted to sin, you interact with God. If you failed and sinned, you interact with God. When you, it, it's just, it permeates the whole thing. And then worthy of love and care for, from others. Sometimes it feels humbling, doesn't it, to have to have somebody else help us? Right? That's okay. But the idea is if, if you will open up yourself to let other people minister to you, it'll set you free. You can walk through life free. See, things really matter because whatever you believe about yourself will always affect how you live. Right? Go ahead and go to that if you would, Silas. How, what you believe will always affect how you live. So what I want to do is just leave with this today. Five statements, there's one of them repeated. But let's read these out loud together today. Okay, just read it out loud with me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will do what God says to do. My life will show that God's word is true. I am who God says I am. And obviously you've got to be in the word, don't you, to keep learning who you are in Christ. So crucial. Your true identity in Christ. Something to pursue. Keep pursuing. You aren't going to arrive. Keep pursuing. And it'll change your life in ways that matter forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for what you've done for us. And I know, Lord, even as I try to comprehend it, that it's probably bigger and more thorough than I even imagine. 
I pray, Father, that you'd help us to look to your word and be in your word, to hear from you and learn things that you say about us. That if we will believe, will just be transformative for us. And we'll, we'll experience true happiness from you. We'll experience deep fulfillment from you as we believe you and live the way you say. And we do want to make sure that your son has his rightful place in our lives. Preeminent. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.